These creative folks, man, it's like they just had that in them, had to get it out, I guess. Kind of threw me all off, man, brother, what? That's all right. I know how it is. It's like I got to preach it, you got to play it. The, uh, the story is told of a devoted wife who spent her lifetime uh, supporting and encouraging her husband. She had for over 40 years been his biggest cheerleader. And now as his life was coming to an end, she was at his bedside every single day. And one day he motioned her to come nearer so he could whisper something to her. And as she sat next to him, he said, You know what, honey? He said, You have always been there. You have always been there through all the bad times when I lost my job. You were there. When my business failed, you were there. When our house burned down, you were there. When I had my first heart attack, you were there again. And now as I'm about to die, here you are again with me. And he said, you know what, honey? And she said, no, what, dear? He said, I've come to the conclusion, you're bad luck. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like bad luck, tough luck, good luck, no luck. You know, we often hear such statements. And in fact, over the last, you know, past six months, I've heard two statements throughout my cancer treatment more than at any other time in my life combined. I've mentioned to you and I've told you, I've never heard how many times from people how good I look. And, uh, and then when you got guys coming to you and saying, you know, your color looks good. You know, there, there's just something that's seriously wrong there, number one. And, and then number two, I've heard it so many times, well, good luck. You know, you look good and good luck. You know, and, and as I've read through Luke's gospel, it's become in, in, impressed upon me that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all creation. There is no such foolish thought as luck or chance or coincidence. Luke has shown us over and over again that Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, has authority and dominion, power over all creation. And I just want to encourage you as you think about that and kind of let that, you know, settle in a little bit, that as God's people, we never say to anyone, good luck. There's no such thing in God's providence as luck. You might say, God bless, I'm praying for you, God is in control, trust in Him, grasp onto Him, lean on Him, but we we need to be very careful that that we don't throw out, and 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 I'm not being critical of anyone here because I don't remember any of you ever telling me good luck, so okay, relax, but... um, (laughs) But I I just thought, you know, as as we go through life, we've got to be very careful that as God's people, that we emphasize the fact that we are in the greatest hands in the universe, and that's the God, the Lord of all creation. And so as we look at that, today in Luke chapter 8, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look through verses 26 through 56, and we're going to learn once again that Jesus Christ is Lord of all creation as he demonstrates his power and authority over demons, disease, death, and since he is, you know, is alive today, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then we have access to the same Lord of all creation and, and his power over those three great enemies of the human condition. And if you stop and think about it, it's the devil and disease and death. 
In Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at this account where once again we see the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Starting with verse 26, we read these words. It says, And they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he had come onto the land, he was met by a certain man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had been commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would burst his fetters and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they were entreating him not to command them to depart into the abyss. And there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons entreated him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out from the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. And those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and, and the surrounding district asked him to depart from them, for they were gripped with great fear, and he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And as Jesus returned, the multitude welcomed him, for they had been waiting for him. And behold, there was a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to entreat him to come to his house. For he had only, he had a, only one daughter who was the age of twelve and was dying. But as he went, the multitudes were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years and could not be healed by anyone came up from behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the multitudes are crowding and pressing upon you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, and I was aware that power had gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died and do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him and said, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she, may, and she will be made well. And when he had come to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she rose immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he instructed them not to tell anyone what had happened. 
You know, last week we examined only four verses, and that took almost an hour. And I'm thinking some of you, especially those math students, you know, who when somebody says the date they were born immediately tries to figure out how old someone is. And I'm thinking that, you know, if four verses took an hour, 30 verses, we'll be here till Tuesday. And uh, so it's kind of the way it works. So with that in mind, let's kind of get moving. And we're going to take a look in this passage. Luke focuses our attention on a trilogy of events um, which demonstrate the power of Jesus. First of all, we learn of his power over evil as Jesus commands the demons, as we saw in verses 26 through 39. You know, we're told in verse uh, 26, as you look at that, it says, And they sailed to the country, which is the opposite of Galilee. Uh, The last message that we looked at, we saw that they had got into the boat. Jesus said that they were going to go to the other side. And, you know, and and it, it was impressed upon me this very simple yet profound truth, and that is this. Jesus said when they got in the boat, we're going to the other side of the lake. As they were traveling, they became frightened, and Jesus recognized and helped them recognize what God already knew, that they were men of little faith, that they were fearful and timid. And in order to be used by God, we cannot have a spirit of timidity or fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind or discipline. And so he was teaching them a lesson as he went across the lake, not only that he was Lord of all creation, for he told the the waters and the the wind to stop, and they asked that most intelligent question, who who then is this that the winds and, and the rains and the waters and everything listened to him? And they recognized the, the awesome power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of all creation. And they arrived on the other side. And, you know, and, and, and I stopped and went, Man, you know, that's a, that's a the message in itself. And the message is very simple. Whatever God promises will come to fruition. Whatever God says will happen will come to pass. You know, if he says that when we're absent from our body that we'll be present with the Lord for those who have repented of sin and recognized and and, and responded by grace through faith to the finished work of Christ, that he died for your sins, that he rose again from the dead, and you've received him as Lord and Savior, he says to you and I, when we're absent from our body, we'll be present with the Lord. He says to you and I that, you know what, there's a day coming where he will come again. And we will be with him for all of eternity. He said, if that wasn't so, I wouldn't have said it. And I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you will always be. And the promises of God over and over again as we go through this, it's important that we recognize and understand that, you know, the disciples were learning to trust Jesus, to trust in him as the Lord of all creation, and that there is nothing or no one that could hinder hinder nor delay the plan and the purposes of our God. The comfort that I've had through this ordeal that I'm going through, this physical ailment, is that I know this for sure, that it is appointed for man to die once and then to come judgment. And then the day of appointment, you will never live a day longer nor live a day shorter than the appointed time. God has known before the foundation of the world every day that he has given to you and me and every one of them are numbered. So why are we so fearful? And the message that is shouted across is that, you know what? Trust Him. Lean on Him. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on the understanding of others. Don't lean on statistics and probabilities and all the rest that are thrown out to give people hope because our hope is in Him. How ironic it is in one of my treatments I had heard of someone who had a, that, you know, their cancer had a 98% success rate with a certain type of treatment. 
and that person died. And I see others that they say, this person doesn't have three months to live or six months to live. And I've talked to some of you 10 years, 20 years later. You're still here. And there's only one answer for that. And that is that we are in God's hands. And no man can change the timing of God. And we can have comfort in that. We can have peace in that. We can have joy in that. We're in God's hands and and, and they're wonderful, comforting hands. Listen. Only if you've turned from sin and trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because the Bible said it is also a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. For the, for the purpose of judgment for sin. God doesn't want any of us to pay the price for our sins. He has chosen Jesus Christ to pay that price so that you and I will never have to be judged for sin before God those who have trusted in Christ. The judgment of God was placed upon him on the cross and he shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven. Those who trust in him, believe in him. And we will see that woven through every single passage of Scripture, the good news that God loves people and he does not want any of us to perish, but all to come to everlasting life. It is woven through every passage of Scripture. And we'll see it again in these encounters that he has as he commands even the demons and they obey him. Now, as they got off the boat, they were met immediately, we're told, by a demon-possessed man who was, his life was in total disarray. As we examine this, number one, as a physician, remember that Luke likes to, to show us the condition of humanity. We see the condition of the man. We'll see the condition of the woman. We'll see the condition of Jairus' daughter. We'll see the condition because Luke, as a physician, he's fascinated with the human condition. And each one of us can relate and identify as he points these things out. We see in verses 27 through 29 the condition of this man. We're told and when he had come, Jesus, onto the land, he was met by a certain man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had been who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. And as we read this and see this, and and it goes on to say that, that, that he was bound with chains and shackles, kept under guard, and yet he would even burst his fetters or those chains and shackles. He would break free of them and be driven out into the wilderness by this, by the demons who had haunted him. Possessed with demons, he wore no clothes. For a long time he was in this condition. He lived in the tombs among the dead. He was kept under guard. He was shackled, yet he would burst these shackles and he would flee out into the wilderness. This man was under the control of Satan and he was a total mess. And there was no hope for him outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't help but think that this man pictures all of humanity. The depravity of humanity... Because if you're not a child of God, the Bible says you're a child of the devil. If you're not living in light, you're living in darkness. You're either a saint or you ain't. You're in or you're out. You know, you're either born again or you're dead in your sins. there's, There's no room in Scripture for middle ground. And we must all examine ourselves to see of whose family we belong. You know, Jesus, when he was confronted with the Pharisees, once said to them, You know, you're the your father the devil. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world and all of us come into the world with a birth defect called sin nature. And God demonstrates it to us. He holds a standard and says, well, if you don't think you're a sinner, measure yourself against this. Are you perfect? 
Well, no, but. No, 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 that, that's not the question. No, but what? There's no buts. Are you perfect? And there isn't a person I've ever met that's been able to say with a clear conscience that they're perfect. They'll say, no, but I'm better than so-and-so. No, but I'm not that bad. No, but what? There's no buts. Are you perfect? And we measure ourselves against that standard and say, no, I'm not. Then you've fallen short of the glory of God, the righteousness, the perfection of God. You fall short. I fall short. We all fall short. The problem is understanding that. Once we understand it, then we need to recognize, well, what what can we do? And the Bible says, you know, I can't do anything except believe upon the one whom God has sent, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins. See, this man was a mess. But he also pictures what the devil does to humanity. He destroys people. That's why the Bible calls him the destroyer. That he's a liar, that he's a murderer, that he's a roaring lion looking for those whom he can devour. He is a liar and he promises people things that he can't deliver. He says, you know what, don't trust God, believe what I say to you. Because what I'm going to say to you is what you want to hear. You want to hear that what you're doing is okay, I'll be more than happy to tell you that. Although God says what you're doing is sin, I'll be more than happy to tell you that it's okay. You can do whatever you want to do, don't you listen to God. And then you know what? And then we sin. And with sin, sin comes a terrible price. Sin always takes us further than we wanted to go, keeps us longer than we wanted to stay, and costs us more than we ever thought we'd have to pay. The strategy or the scheme of the devil is to to entice us to to believe the lie instead of the truth. This man is a picture of what the devil does to humanity. And the reason for it is is that, you know, this man was an extreme case, but we must not lose sight of the fact that sin is endemic, you know, to the human condition. You know, James 1.14 warns us that each one of us is tempted by his own evil desires. That's why one thing you may be tempted with, someone else will say, well, I don't get it. I don't see what's so attractive about that. But then what you struggle with, that same person says, I, I don't see what's so tempting about that. And every one of us struggle with our own lust, our own desires, our own sin nature that manifests itself in different ways. And, and the point is that we are all fully capable of evil and degeneration at any given moment in time. I don't know how many times I have heard this stated. You know, I'm so surprised by what he did or what she did because, you know what, that just wasn't her or it wasn't him. We read in the newspaper of a father who kills his three children and then kills himself and the whole community says, you know, I would have never guessed that he could do something like that. We read of an executive who's thrown to prison for fraud or investment fraud or something else. And, and the people around him says, but, but, but I'm so surprised by that because it's so out of character. Listen, our character is riddled with sin. That's why even sitting here and, you know, and listening to me, some of you, and I've even had thoughts. And you go, where'd that thought come from? It's from the sin that reigns within our mortal bodies and, the, and, and, and Paul says, who can set us free from the mess that we're in? And he says, thanks be to God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who will set us free. We are forgiven in a moment in time when we trust in him. But ultimately, one day, you and I, 
God's people will have resurrected our new bodies and they will not be contaminated at all with sin nature. But until we see Him face to face, we will always struggle with sin. That's why James says, when you are tempted, not if you are tempted, maybe you'll be tempted. No, he's saying when, it's a given. We live in distorted, messed up human condition. And we will always be tempted and we must always be ready to understand that and they're ready to deal with it in a way that is pleasing to God. That's what self-control is all about. That's why we need to know the Word of God. That's why we need to memorize Scripture. It's the weapon of God's choice against the evil one. That's why we've got to be aware of the strategies of the devil. That's why we can never lower our God guard because how many times have you heard it? I don't, I, I mean, and it breaks my heart every time I hear somebody say, I, I don't know how I got into this mess. I know how you got in. You know how you got in. You lowered your guard. You believed the lie. You were lured to do something that you really wanted to do anyway. And it didn't take you much convincing. King David, how would I get into this mess? Hey, man, you know why? Because you struggled with lust and you saw a naked woman and she was attractive to you. And you sent for her. What do you mean, how would you get into this mess? You were checking her out. Then you sent people to go get her. Why would you be surprised at this point? But we're all like that. See, nevertheless, we need to recognize and understand that demons do exist. The devil is real. We must not be overly fascinated by him or them because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we've got a Lord who is the Lord of all creation who created these beings who fell and chose to rebel against the authority and the counsel and the providence of God. We must not be fascinated by them, but we also must not ignore the reality of their existence. And the purpose of the devil is to do this. You and I, mankind, was created in the image of our God. We were created in the image and likeness of God. And you know what sin does? It distorts the image and likeness of God, and that's one of the goals of the devil. See, the enemy doesn't want your life or my life to reflect the image of God. There's no way. Because those who do not know God, as Paul said, you know, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. As I allow God to to live his life through me, to project light into darkness into the world, those who do not know God, those who have never come to faith in Jesus Christ, will look at your life and my life and say, you know what, there is this distinct difference between me and you. And what is it? It's the fact that God's people who are walking in obedience with them reflect the image and the glory of our Creator. And others should be attracted to Him because of the way that you and I live. But the devil doesn't want that image to be reflected to the world. He wants God's people to choose to rebel against God so that there is a a major amount of hypocrisy between the things that we say and how we live our life to where no one's attracted to our Savior. But when you and I walk in obedience and live in obedience with God, guess what? The rest of the world takes note and says, Boy, I wonder what it is about you that's different than me. The joy of God. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Self-control and gentleness and patience. And love. Sacrificial love. That you would put others first. 
that you would have the same attitude in yourself that was also in Christ Jesus, although he existed in the form of God. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, he emptied himself, and he took upon himself the likeness of men and was obedient to God to the point of death, even upon the cross, so that at his name it would be highly exalted and at his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord to the glory of God. This man's life is a mess. And every person who lives life under the domain of Satan has a messed up life. And no one could set him free. He was like this for a long time until Jesus came along. And as we look at this, Jesus Christ came to earth to seek and to save that which was lost in a historic moment of time in human history when Adam chose to rebel against God and sin entered into the world. And Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost and also destroy the works of the devil. So confrontation on this occasion was inevitable. And notice this confrontation. And seeing Jesus in verse 28, he cried out and he fell before him and he said in a loud voice, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torture me or torment me. And Jesus, in verse 30, asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many legions had entered into him. And they were entreating him not to command them to depart into the abyss, but asked for permission to be driven into a herd of swine. This confrontation revealed the extent of God's power, that no one else, that nothing else can stop or hinder the Lord of all creation. You know, these demons created yet fallen beings recognize that Jesus is the son of the most high God. You know, James 2.19 says that even the devil and demons believe and they tremble. And why do they tremble? Because they realize that Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, has the authority and the power to command them and to torment them for all of eternity in a place that's called the abyss or what we commonly refer to as hell. Technically, in Revelation, it's the lake of fire. Recognize and understand that these demons recognized Jesus and they understood his authority and his power, his domain over them, that he could send them to the abyss for all of eternity. And that's exactly what will happen to them according to the book of Revelation. And as they were looking at him and I thought about this confrontation, I couldn't help but think how intelligent yet foolish demons are. In fact, they understand what many human beings have yet to grasp. Consider the statements that they made. Number one, demons have faith, according to James 2.19, but it's not saving faith. So when somebody says, I believe, we need to take it to the next level. And that is, what do you believe in? What exactly do you believe? Oh, I believe in God. Well, what do you believe about God? What do you mean? And because that's usually where it all stops. As soon as somebody says, I believe in God, you know, we leave it at that. And we got to go to the next question. And that is, well, what, what do you believe about God? Who is God? What is our purpose? Why are we here? Who is Jesus Christ? Oh, I believe in Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? 
Do you believe that he came, that he's God in human flesh who came to this earth, who died on the cross, he rose again from the dead? Do you believe that he's a creator of the universe? Do you believe that he's equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, that there's only one God but three persons in one God? Is, is that what you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that unless you trust in him and him alone, that you will go to hell suffering the consequences of your own sin? Do you believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody goes to heaven without going through him? Is that what you believe about Jesus? Jesus or what do you believe about Jesus see the, the, the demons believe and they shudder and, and also when you go through this they believe that he has the authority to command them because he, he, they said that are you going to torment or torture us they believe in the existence of a place of torment to which Jesus could send them they said are you going are you coming to torment us and send us to the abyss they recognize their final destination and they want to destroy people in the process and destroy God's program if they could, but they cannot. They also believe in the power of prayer. So what are you talking about? Well, they, they pray to Jesus. Well, we beg you. We entreat you. Don't send us to the abyss. Send us into the pigs. They prayed to God. And God answered their prayers. How much more so will our Heavenly Father answer ours? See, as we look at this, He's the Lord of all creation. You know, and, and this man would spend the rest of his life, as we see this, he's going to spend the rest of his life, when we go down and look at the consequences revealed that God's power, look at verse 33. It says, And the demons came out from the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. The demons obeyed the command of Jesus, the Lord of all creation, and they entered into the pigs as they asked and as Jesus sent them. Mark's account tells us that the, the number was about 2,000 pigs. And, uh, you know, this, this was a decisive sign, if you stop and think about it, to show all that the demons had departed from the man. It was a very physical evidence. Remember that God does the physical in order to validate the spiritual. Because... He has to do what that is which we can see in order that we believe that which we cannot see. That's why Jesus often said, you know, do you believe they have the, the power to forgive sins or the authority to forgive sins? Well, let me demonstrate that I do by doing the things that I do. Pick up your pallet and walk. The eyes of the blind are open. Deaf can hear. So he always did things physically in order to validate what he says is true spiritually. He said that he took and cast the demons out of this man. How would people know that the demons were no longer there? There was a very vivid word picture of the fact that these demons left this man, went into the pigs, and in the Greek and in, in, in the, in the wording that's used, they, one by one, 2,000 pigs jumped into the sea and drowned. One by one, one by one, one by one. Wow, you know what? I think Jesus is doing something here. And at the end of all of it, we see a man whose life was radically transformed. It says, And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported in, in the city and out in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus. They found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. And that's the way it always has to be when we're touched by Jesus. There always has to be a transformation. There always has to be a change of heart. And then as a changed heart, there has to be a change of the external. 
This man was naked, now that he was clothed. This man was out of his mind, now he was sitting in his right mind. Reasoned. And not only he was a man who was alienated from God, and now he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. There has got to be a transformation. There has got to be something that's evident to all, because otherwise the words are cheap and hollow. But the reality is there has to be a demonstration of God's touch in your life and in mine. This man was radically changed because of anyone's in Christ, old things pass away, all things become new. And it says, and they were frightened. And those who had seen it reported to them how the man was demon-possessed, had been made well. And they were frightened because they knew that something incredible had taken place because nothing any of them could do ever made an impact on this man's life. And now here, by the word of Jesus Christ, his very word, the same thing we see in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then God said, let there be light. The very word of God, when Jesus stood up and he said to the seas and he said to the winds and he said to the storm, be muzzled, be quiet, hush, and everything stopped. He said to the demons, come out of the man, and they came out. He said the word, and when he tells you, Lord, just say the word, and I know my soul shall be healed. When he says that, you can trust him. You can believe him. And the evidence is overwhelming because you know what? You'll never be the same again. You'll never be the same. And then notice what he did. It says that these people were afraid. And you know what's amazing? It just shows you the, the, uh, the, the contrast in the human heart. Here was one man who received Jesus Christ as a savior and a whole bunch of other people that said, you know what? You need to leave now. Can you imagine that, turning away Jesus? And you know why they did that, by the way? Because Jesus was bad for business. Jesus was going to cost them something. You know, 2,000 pigs, I don't know, man, that's a lot of bacon and ham. And the irony of all of it was, you got 2,000 pigs being raised by Jews to sell to Gentiles, okay? What's the problem there? You know, there's a problem there. And they said, hey, you know what? You're messing up our business. And seeing that's the way it is. Because when Jesus confronts you about the sin in your life, you have a choice either to accept his forgiveness or say, you know what? I like the way I live my life and you leave me alone. Don't come messing with me. Don't come meddling in my business. Let me do what I want to do. And you know what? And Jesus left. See, the God of the universe, the Lord of all creation, will never force himself upon anyone. The Bible says he stands at the door of our life and he knocks. You want to let him in? Let him in. But if you don't, he'll never force himself upon you. This man let him in, and the other crowd said, go away. And he said, fine. And he went away. My prayer is that no one ever says, go away. Because what you have left is temporal at best and will never provide your greatest need, which is God's forgiveness in Christ. Don't ever think your business or making money, illicitly or otherwise, is more important than getting God's forgiveness. Levi was a thief and a crook and so was Zacchaeus. But you know what? They recognized that all the money in the world couldn't buy peace with God. And they trusted in Christ. As we go through and we look at this, Jesus tells them, now what I want you to do is return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. 
And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. The question that arose at this point in my study was, you know, Chuck, what about you? You know, what about you? Have you gone to proclaim the great things that God has done for you? (laughs) To what extent? To what degree? How excited are you? A story was told of a man who was blind, and he came and was brought to a man who was an ophthalmologist. The blind man had no money, and the ophthalmologist was just starting out in business, but he had learned all the latest techniques through his, his education. And the man came to him and he said, you know what, I think I can help you. The ophthalmologist said, you know what, I think I can help you. And the man said, I don't have any money. I don't have any way to pay you. And he said, don't worry about it. And he took him into surgery and performed the latest surgery on him. And sure enough, after a period of recuperation, the man's eyesight was restored. And the man went to his doctor and said, Doc, I don't know what I could ever do to repay you. I have no money. I have nothing that I can offer you, nothing that I can give to you. And he said, don't worry, you will repay me. He said, how? What do you mean? He goes, all that I ask of you is that you go everywhere and tell anybody who will listen to you how the fact was that once you were blind and that now you can see. And I thought, you know, isn't that the truth? Anyone who will listen to us, we need to tell them. Once I was blind spiritually and now I can see God for who He is. As Job said, I heard about you, God, but now I see you for who you are. I was once lost and now I'm found. I was once in rebellion against God and now I'm a child of God because I trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I was once a man filled with hatred and bitterness and anger over things that had happened in my life. And now I'm a man who has patience and self-control and God's still chiseling away in all those areas, but you know, but I'm not the man I used to be because that man died on the cross with Jesus Christ. And I was raised in the newness of life, as many of you have been. And the only thing that God ever asks us to do in order to, quote, repay Him, is to tell others how He called us from darkness into light so that we can proclaim the excellencies of our God. He's a good God and worthy to be praised. And He's good no matter what He chooses to do, because that's His character He is righteous and He is holy. Next we learn that Jesus also cures our diseases. You know, we'll notice as we look at this, the condition of a specific woman after He was confronted, we're told in verse 40 that as Jesus returned, the multitudes welcomed Him for they had been waiting for Him. What a great reception, isn't it? You know, our God always goes where He's welcome. They were waiting for Him, anticipating His return. They couldn't wait till He came back. And contrast that to a group of people that said, you know what, get out of our sight. We want nothing to do with you. It says, and Jairus, who came to him, was an official of the synagogue. And we're told that he fell at Jesus' feet and began to entreat him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes were pressing against him. And then all of a sudden, we have a break in the story. This man goes to him. And he comes to Jesus, his daughter was dying. And as Jesus was going with him to respond to this man's need, the multitude of people began to press against him. And it slowed slowed him down. 
And this event takes place where Jesus cures the disease of a woman. We're told who had hemorrhaged for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone. Again, Luke looks at the condition of this woman and says she had an issue. It was an issue of hemorrhaging or bleeding. She had had this issue for 12 years. And I thought, wow, you know what? There's nothing that God does. It's a coincidence. She was suffering for 12 years, the same length of time that Jairus' daughter had lived. She was 12 years old. This woman suffered for 12 years. And I think it's fascinating oftentimes how we become so subjective in our life that we only see things through our perspective. And here was a woman who had suffered for 12 years and no one could do anything for her. And it was important to bring that out. Everything that could be done had tried to be done and no one can do anything. And the issue of bleeding in particular in the Old Testament was an issue that they would associate with immorality and that she would, be, uh, she would be ostracized by the community. She would be set apart and set aside. They believed it was a result of immorality and that God was punishing her for some sin in her life. And as we're going to find out here, that was never the case. Just as the person, the, the, the young man who was born blind, and they said, who sinned, this man or his, his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, none of them sinned. But he was born blind in order that the works of God may be demonstrated through his life. God had a purpose behind everything that he does. And so Jesus, as he was walking, this woman who was was hemorrhaging came up behind him and she touched the fringe of his cloak. She touched the fringe of his cloak and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. You know, she risked, risked approaching Jesus because she believed all she had heard about him that he never turned away any who, who came to him and that he had the ability to cure and to heal all diseases. Now, her faith was limited. Now, look at her faith. Her faith was she believed that if she just touched his clothes, that even the clothes that he wore would heal her. And so Jesus, as he was wearing his garment that was on, had robes or tassels, and on the four corners were four tassels. And the word where it says touch literally is she grasped onto it. I thought, man, there's no better place to be in life than to grasping on to Jesus. You know, we know he'll never leave us or forsake us. You know, he's not the problem. We're the problem. We're the ones that wander and stray and and walk away from him. You know, and she said she grasped on to him because she believed that even if she touched his clothes, that she would be healed. Now, what's interesting about that is, is that God honors even very shallow faith. The faith that says, I want to know him, I want to be, have a piece of him, I, I want you know, to get close to him, and, and God honors that. Because it's a step of faith. And as we go through it, see, and, and here's the message or the lesson, is verse 48. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. His robe didn't make her well. And the message or the lesson for all of us and that really hit home for me is this. See, it's not the robe or the tassel that healed her. It's not the candles that people light to try to get God's attention in their prayer life. It's not prayer cards or even, our own, even the prayers themselves. It's not doctors or medicine or vitamins or tea. And I'll tell you right now, i got a whole counter full of stuff everyone's sending me. And i got it all and I'm trying to figure out, you know, that'll probably kill me before cancer. <laughs> the mixture of all of it, I'm afraid our house is going to blow up. But, um, you know, and it's and minerals or radiation or chemo or any of these things. Is one, now listen, as wonderful and as necessary as those things are, and, and don't take anything I'm saying out of context. They all have their place. But Jesus Christ is preeminent. 
It is our faith in Him, the one who hears our prayers. It is not our prayers that heal. It is the one who hears our prayers. It is not the faith in grabbing the tassel or the robe of the Savior, but it is the one who is wearing the robe and the tassels who is Savior. We must never misunderstand nor misplace the Lord of all creation's role in our life. We must love our Lord and our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Does he answer prayer? Yes. Does he use kind and compassionate doctors and nurses? Yes. Does he, does he use the abilities he's given them and the gifts that he has given them to understand treatments for disease? Yes. And we must never be foolish to misplace any of these things because it's a beautiful thing. And when I go to the doctors or I go to the hospital or I go to the cancer center this week, I I continually thank them for their kindness and their compassion and, and their concern and their treatment and their care. But I always make sure that they understand at the end of the day that God is in control. And our faith must be in Him and Him alone. See, your faith has made you well. It's by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. Not our prayers, not our efforts, not our works, not our whatevers. It is by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift from God so that none of us could ever boast. He gets all the glory. Amen? Amen. See, you know, when you think about this, you know, I, I, I'm just like, I'm blown away as I think about the last several months of my life and particularly this last week. You know, two weeks ago, you know, my wife and I were told by our radiologist that they had found a spotter on my lung. Uh, he was convinced that it was cancer because three months before when I was at UCLA, they did the same test and there, there wasn't a spot there. And they know that the probability of the cancer that I have, that that was where it would go because it's a soft tissue organ and it's a sarcoma, which is a soft tissue cancer. And by his reaction and by his statements, we recognized that that is what he believed without any question because I had an appointment on the 22nd to see a thoracic surgeon. They told me what the surgery would be like and they'd also told me that they would, you know, to be prepared that they would probably say that we need to start chemo. And so we understood and we recognized that and yet at the same time we prayed as you prayed and as many people prayed that, you know, God's will would be done, but you know what, there's not, it doesn't hurt at times to say, God, you know, this is what I'd like, but at the end of the day, you know, kind of like the leper, I'd like you to heal me, but if you choose not to, that's okay, it's your will, but God, I'd really like this spot not to be cancer, but at the end of the day, if it's your will, then we'll deal with it because we know that you're going to be with us, you'll never leave us or forsake us, so that's the journey we're going to take. So Wednesday, when I got the call, and they told me that the spot isn't cancer, that it's something else, calcium or something else going on. You know, I've never been so glad to have something else in my lung. You know, I, I was like, like, you know, I, I, I didn't care if they said, no, it's a tricycle. There's a tricycle in your lung. But it'd be like, that's all right with me too, you know, as long as it's not cancer. And so, you know, we, we praise God and re- rejoice in Him. But, but, but the point of bringing it up is this, is that, you know what, our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. And I cannot wait to go back because that poor guy has been a nervous wreck over at the cancer center at St. Joe's for a couple of weeks. And I can't wait to go back and just share him that, you know what, great things. How did exactly did Jesus say it? 
He said, I want you to return and describe what great things God has done for you. You know what? And when in doubt, always give them credit. And I, because I hear the skeptics, well, you know, they probably just didn't see it on the last scan and you probably were turned a certain way and it was probably always there. And you know what? I say, look, you know what? Whether any of that's true or not, I don't really care because it gives me an opportunity to describe the great things that God has done in my life. Right? Amen. All right, here we go. Hey, we're almost done. Okay, now, notice this. Yay. Hey, what's that? Now, what, what does that mean? Yay. You just woke up three minutes ago. Man, that tough crowd. So anyway, now we get back to the fact that, you know, not only does Jesus cure our diseases, and you know what, and folks, and when he does, make sure you let people know. And I know the world hates to hear that. You know, they want to hear, no, it's the radiologist or the radiation or the chemo or this or that or the other thing. Everybody wants to hear that somehow they get credit for something that really ultimately is God's to have. So, you know, we give him all the credit and glory, but we also are compassionate and sensitive to make sure that human beings that God uses in the process are recognized for what they do as well. So then, now that she's cured... While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue. And I want you to also notice a pattern developing here too. I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit. But notice that Jesus called her out of the crowd and said, who touched me? And it was really important that he, not, you think Jesus didn't know? Wow, this one's stumping me. Created the universe, got everything else in order. Someone snuck up and grabbed onto my cloak. Wonder who that could have been. And it's like, no, he knew, but he wanted her to come out publicly and acknowledge that she had been touched by Jesus and that she was healed. She wanted everybody around her who had ostracized her for 12 years to know that she was now clean and could be accepted back into the community. She, he wanted her to come publicly before everyone. There's a pattern developing and that is this. Every time Jesus touches a life, the only thing He requires of us is that we go public with the information. Come out of the crowd and come up. Who touched me? I touched you. Why did you touch me? Because I know you can heal me. Your faith has made you well. And everybody has stood around and went, wow. Now I want you to put yourself in the position of the, of the dad who has been waiting through all of this, knowing that his only 12-year-old daughter, his only daughter, the pride of his life, his little princess is sick and home and dying. And Jesus is the only one that can help her too. And think about how difficult it must have been for him to wait upon this little event that took place. And it's like, look, she's been bleeding for... I mean, it's, it's kind of like... And these are, these are the edges that God's chipping away in my life. But it's kind of like sometimes I read this and go, look, she's been bleeding for 12 years. You can come back to her. You know, seriously, what's another week, another day, another whatever, you know? It's not that big a deal. You know, and, and go, because this one's more pressing. You know, it's like trying to be in a triage, you know, an emergency room physician. Oh, what's your problem? Broken leg. Well, okay, we'll come back to you. Oh, it's a bit of sticking through the skin. Well, it doesn't matter, because this guy got a stake through his chest. You know, it's kind of like we, we just got everything's a priority, right? But with God, it doesn't matter. 
Why? Because his timing's always perfect. He's never early. He's never late. And the wonderful thing is this, is that, you know, Jairus was seeing that Jesus could heal this woman. He was probably getting a lot more confident and hopeful that no matter what was wrong with his daughter, this wasn't going to be a big deal for Jesus either. And then the stunning news, leave him alone. She already died. Oh, I was just so encouraged that whatever my daughter had, Jesus would be able to heal and cure her disease because I just saw this great miracle performed right in front of me. But then all of a sudden, boom. Our lives are like that. If we're not centered in Christ. Our lives are like this. We get all excited about what God can do and then when He doesn't do it the way we think He should do it or in His timing, all of a sudden, we're down here in the depths again. And then we go back up this way and we go down this way. One of the things I'm learning from a good friend of mine who, as, as, we, as we challenge each other in, in our walk with the Lord and I see his demeanor and I watch him on the field and I watch him hit a home run and I see him just trot around the bases and then I watch him strike out with the bases loaded. Not that often, but whenever he does. But uh, then, then, I, then I see that and I just see that, you know what? But I just see there, there, it's just an even keel. He doesn't ride the emotional roller coaster of, of life. And it drives emotional people crazy to see somebody centered in their emotions. And when I got the call that it wasn't cancer, I praised God and, you know, and a tear or two fell. I was in a great place too. I was over at the church with the women's lunch and just ready to go in after they were done. That's a great place to get news like that. It was a hugarama. <laughs> it was awesome. But... Um, but, but, you know, and it's like, but you know what, though? But, but see, and I realize and I understand and I praise Him and I live in a moment and you live in a moment of no regrets and you rejoice in that moment. But at the same time, you recognize that, you know what? If you're going to go crazy because you get the news that you want to hear, then what's going to happen to you when you get the news you don't want to hear? See, because I know now God's, God's plan for my life is every three months I'm going to go through these tests and every three months I'm going to wait for results. And every three months, you know, it's kind of like, are you going to go crazy with joy every time you hear what you want to hear and then if you hear what you don't want to hear? And the point is that, you know what, that, that we have stability in Christ. And so I praise him, and I don't dwell on it. It's time to get back to action and get to work for Jesus' sake. And if the news would have been something else, you already know because you've seen it, lived out in my life, I'll praise him again and get to work for Jesus' sake because we're to redeem the time wisely because our days are few. Our life here on earth is like a vapor, you know, so we got to get busy for the kingdom of God and to be used for Jesus' sake. And how do we get busy? We proclaim the great things that God has done in our life. And if that wasn't great enough, let's close with this. But I love this. The world says, don't bother him anymore. There's nothing he can do. Your daughter has died. But Jesus said this. Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. Isn't that great news? The approach of this father was he came to Jesus because there was nowhere else to turn and humility bowed down before him. And with a sense of urgency, he said, come with me because you can do what no one else can do. You can heal my daughter. Now that she's dead, he was afraid that Jesus couldn't conquer death. He said, don't worry about it, but only believe and she will be made well. 
And when he had come to the house, he didn't allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and his mother. And the answer of Jesus was, you know what? Believe and she will be made well. Now when they were all weeping and lamenting for her, he said, stop weeping for she has not died but is asleep. And notice the mockery of the crowd, the attitude of the mourners. And they began laughing at him knowing that she had died. Can you imagine laughing at God? Mocking at God, I thought about, you know, the thief on the cross. One received him as his Lord and Savior. The other mocked him and made fun and ridiculed him. If you're really God, why don't you get off this cross, save yourself, save us. The soldiers mocked him. Yeah, you're going to rebuild the temple in three days. Why don't you come on down and show us how you're going to do that from up there, dead man. You know, the world either mocks or the world receives him. The world welcomes him or the world rejects him. And when I say the world, I break it down individually. You and I do the same thing. We either receive him and welcome him into our life or we reject him and tell him to go away from us and we we mock him and we ridicule him and we like, who do you think you are? And that's all the world. There's no in between. Because if you don't receive him, you reject him. Apathy is a rejection vote. Now, Jesus, however, took her by the hand and called and said, Child, arise. You know what I love about the answer of Jesus? Look in verse uh, 52. He says, You know what? She's sleeping. She's sleeping. Now, she wasn't sleeping. She was dead. But all through Scripture, God uses the word sleep as a euphemism for death. And I want you to to stop and picture this for a moment. How many people, as you grow older, are afraid to go to sleep? See, I guess there's that period of time where when we're we're children, we might be afraid of the dark, afraid to go to sleep, you know, and, and then we outgrow that. And then there's this long period of time where we really enjoy it. And then when we get older, then we might be afraid to go to sleep too, uh, so there's kind of like, you know, we come, you know, come in in diapers, go out in depends, you know, that kind of thing. It's like this. And there's this period of time in between where it's like, okay, a word picture, no one needed it right at this point, I know. But, but there's this period of time where it's like, you know what, I can't go, how many of you, I can't wait to go home and take a good nap. Now, see, there are a lot of people that won't raise their hand right now and are just, you know, wanting to, but they, you know, they just can't. But the bottom line is this, no one's afraid to go to sleep. And what, he's, and what 1 Thessalonians 4 also tells us is that, you know what? We shouldn't be afraid to go to sleep. You and I, who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, having repented of sin and, and received Him and recognized His death on the cross on our behalf and the power of His resurrection, we shouldn't be afraid of death. Jesus Christ came to abolish death. He came to abolish that last enemy of man. The greatest fear of mankind is death. Jesus came to tell us what we can expect after death. For those who have trusted in him, life for all of eternity in his presence. For those who have not, life in eternity tormented away from his very presence. That's what we can expect after death. And none of God's people should ever be afraid to die. Why? Because we're confident of this very thing. The day we're absent from our body will be present with our Lord. And you know what? And all the misery of this lifetime fades and passes and is gone. And we get to enjoy His presence and the fullness of His presence and the joy for all of eternity, worshiping and praising our Creator and seeing Him for who He truly is. 
You know, it's like all God's people should long to go home with our Savior. And we all want to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. There's no other way to get there unless Jesus comes and we're translated or caught up or raptured at that moment in time. Everybody else in human history has to enter the doorway of death. But don't be afraid because we know what's on the other side. And more importantly, we know who's waiting there for us. There are moments in my life in the last several months where the enemy has oppressed me with a great fear and a sense of dread and doom. And I want to tell you that those, those moments are real, and you know it, and I know it if you've ever been there. But the battle belongs to the Lord, and every time that I would have that sense of dread or doom, I would take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and I would remember all the promises of my God. See, and that's why David could write, inspired by the Spirit, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Because, God, you are with me. You uphold me. You you sustain me. When I'm faithless, you're faithful. You've gone to prepare a place for me, and I know that's true because your word is true, and I trust you. I know your word says that the day that I close my eyes on this side of eternity and I wake them up and 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 I hear your voice on the other side, that I will be with you always, even to the end of this age and into eternity. And I challenge you and I, and, I, and, I, and I implore you and I encourage you to study the word of God and to memorize it and meditate on it day and night so that when the enemy comes and tries to rob you of your joy of God, that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And in closing, in clothing, I want to put it all together this way. When Jesus said, little girl, arise... She heard his voice and obeyed his command. And she sat up and she was made whole and she was well. When Jesus said to the widow Nain's son, young man, arise, he sat up, he heard his voice and responded. When Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth, he heard his voice and he responded. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all creation. He has set us free from the, from the bondage of sin. Some of you are saying, but Chuck, you don't know the oppression that I have in my life. You don't know my addiction, we call it. My addiction to pornography or sexual immorality. My addiction to being a liar and a cheat in business. I've always lived for money. You don't know how, how I struggle with these things. You don't know how I struggle with lying and gossiping. You know how I struggle with my mouth. My mouth is filthy, dirty, and things are going to come out, destroy people's lives. Dirty jokes and mean-spirited thoughts. And you don't know the oppression that I live under every day. You don't know the grip, the, the grip that drugs and alcohol have on my life and even the, the memory of the things that I've done in my past. And I say to you, by the authority of the Word of God, that when Jesus says He has set you free, He has set you free indeed. And if you know Him as your Lord and Savior and He lives within you, then you are free and don't ever let the devil tell you otherwise. Don't ever allow that to become an excuse for your old habits and the old way of life and those patterns because He has set you free, you are free indeed. And when you hear His voice, you answer. For those who have never trusted in Christ, He's speaking to you even today. And He's saying, you know what? You, 
need to turn from sin. You need to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, His death on the cross, the power of His resurrection. You need to receive Him as your Lord and Savior. And when you do, your life will never be the same. And those of us who have, we are to proclaim Him and the excellencies of Him and the great things that God has done in our life. We are to let the world know. And we need to get busy doing it. Let's pray. Father, you are the Lord of all creation. We see the Lord Jesus Christ over and over again demonstrating his power and his authority. His power over the devil and demons. His power over sin and darkness. His power over disease. His power even over death. He has come from heaven to earth so that he can show us the way into your presence. God, I thank you and I praise you for his wonderful name. And I just pray for all of us who have come to know you as our Savior that we would be more bold that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, that we will boldly proclaim all that you have done, the great things you have done in our life, so that you get all the glory and and the praise. And for those who are here today that are not sure of their relationship, and as they hear your voice telling them it's time for them to turn and repent from sin and to trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone, His death on the cross and the power of His resurrection, and to receive Him right here and now as their Savior, that they would do so. Pray a simple prayer, God forgive me, I'm not perfect. I've heard this even before, but it's never really made much sense until now. And God, I just pray that you will forgive me of my sins and I trust your word when you say that you will. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that he rose again from the dead. And I believe that even here and now, as I approach you, that you will always be approachable as I invite you to come into my life, that you will do so. That you will take up residence and clean out all the demons and the darkness of my past and you will set me free from all of it for now and for all of eternity. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.